take them out, turn to Philippians. Um, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 19, maybe a little bit of 18 at the end, but 19 through 26. Man, what a great text to be able to preach this morning. I love this. I love the Word of God, and I love this. Man, this is just great. Um, so we're going to be talking about um, kind of this idea of win-win situations. You know, there's, there's a sense where every so often in life, we find ourselves in win-win situations, right? Where it's these, this idea that, you know what? Either way, no matter how it, things turn out, I'm going to come out ahead, you know, um, I was sitting on Friday mornings, we go through questions. Uh, Gary's not here this morning, but I'll tell on him because he thought of this great win-win situation for him. So Gary was an incredible teacher. I mean, if, if you had Gary Clocky, you loved science, and he did it in junior high. Great junior high science teacher, in fact, right? I mean, some of you are shaking your heads like, yeah, my kids had him, and they loved science. Gary spent his life teaching and loved it. But uh, when, when he went before the, you know, his review, before Gary Sinclair, Gary Sinclair, our, our superintendent at the time, said, hey, there's an opportunity that you have here. You could take some early retirement, and guess what? If you take early retirement, you get your benefits all the way to 65, health care all the way to 65. Now, that's a pretty big deal. For those of you who have been in the, the donut hole or in that whole thing, Ken and Johnny, you guys know what I'm talking about. To have your benefits, it's like, whoa, what do I do? And so for Gary, he's looking at it, he's going, man, if I go on teaching, I love doing this, I could probably do it for another couple of years, I win. If I retire early, I win. You know, we get some of those win-win situations in life. Uh, Karen, where is she? Oh, she left. Oh, there she is, Karen. So Karen had this incredible op opportunity, this incredible win-win situation, her sister kind of said, all right, you know what? Flights are cheap right now. I will I'll, there's three options for you to fly. You could fly to, um, to Rome, to Italy, and Italy is going to be the same price as flying up to the northwest United States, or if you'd like to go somewhere tropical and enjoy the beach, we could fly there. Now, that's a win-win-win situation, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have chosen Northwest, but uh, yeah, it was a win-win-win, and they ended up going to Rome and uh, enjoying gelato and all those things there. I don't know what else is in Rome, but I know there's, is that it? Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of church history. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Paul was in Rome in prison, maybe. Did you get to see? Yeah. Anyway, we don't have time for that this morning. It was a win, to say, to say the least. And, th and it's true here in our text this morning. Paul finds himself, although not in the same circumstances, he finds himself in a win-win situation. You know, his circumstances aren't Rome or somewhere tropical. Paul's in prison. He's in chains, and yet he's finding himself in a win-win situation. Paul's situation is, you know what? If I get to continue living, if Caesar doesn't give me the thumbs down and kill me, I get to continue to serve Christ. If I die, guess what? I get to be with Christ. So either way, I get to enjoy it. I get joy either way. And so last week we looked at Paul, 
we looked at Paul's joy in his chains, right? Paul found joy in his circumstances because his chains had given him the opportunity to share Jesus with the, the entire palace guard. People are coming to faith in Christ because Paul is in chains in prison. His chains were the cause not only of being in prison, but his chains were the cause of, of others stepping out as bold witnesses. With Paul not on the streets of Rome, others were stepping up, and the gospel of Jesus Christ was being preached in, throughout Rome. But there's a third reason here in our text this morning of why Paul rejoices in the midst of his chains. You see, Paul, for Paul, his chains are bringing about the great day in heaven when his salvation will be made complete. He's looking forward in his chains and he's rejoicing because he knows that what he's doing by serving the Lord Jesus Christ, one day he's going to stand before Christ in heaven and Jesus is going to say to him these words. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And it brought Paul joy. I don't want to give away um, the future of this letter, but I think if you looked at Paul's, Paul's purpose statement in his life, I think it's captured in 3, 10, and 11 of this letter here in Philippians. It captures his heart, and it helps us understand this text this morning. He says this in, in Philippians 3, verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. After all the things of life, he made all this grocery list of things that he should have rejoiced in. He says, you know what? Those things are rubbish. They're garbage. They're dung. In the message, it says like they're dog poop. That's what it says. Compared to knowing Christ. And he says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. That gave Paul reason to rejoice in the midst of his chains. And so we, we get to Philippians chapter, chapter 1 and verse 19, and we see that Paul faces his trials, uh, his trial, his upcoming trial uh, with Caesar with, with courage and joy. He says, she says this in verse, at the end of verse 18. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given me by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He says, you know what? <laughs> These chains, there's a third reason. The gospel's being preached, but I, this is turning out for me for my deliverance. This is turning out for my salvation. Notice the things that give him great courage and joy. Look at that. He says, for I know that through your prayers, right, and through the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, these are causes for Paul to rejoice. Paul finds, him, Paul finds encouragement and he finds confidence from the Philippians' prayers. You ever find that in your own life? Maybe you're facing difficult trial, difficult circumstances, and you just want to, you're like, man, where is the joy in this, Lord? How do I find the joy? How do I rejoice in this? And someone from the church says, you know what? I know you're going through a lot right now, but guess what? I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God would strengthen you. I'm praying that God would encourage you. Doesn't that bring you hope? Does that ever bring you comfort? It should. The believers, the saints' prayers in Philippi, they matter. And they matter to Paul. 
And your prayers matter to God. And so Paul looks at it with courage. He's like, I've got a whole, I got the, I got the saints praying for me in here. I'm not by myself. Oh, and there's even a greater reason than the prayers of the saints. He says, I have the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ living with me. The Spirit of Christ is encouraging me. Look at that. And God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul's not alone. He's not alone in his suffering. He's not alone in his chains. He's rejoicing because Jesus Christ is there with him. Paul paints this beautiful picture of the Godhead. We don't see this very often in the New Testament, this idea of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Where else do we see it in Scripture? Like maybe three times in the New Testament, all in Paul's writings. In Acts 16, 17, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus Christ is what permits Paul or keeps Paul from going to Asia and sends him off to Macedonia he says it was the Spirit of Christ in a vision that came to him. Imagine that. <laughs> Jesus Christ appearing and saying, nope, I want you to go this way. In Romans 8, 9, and 10, we see that Paul writes this. He says, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Now listen to this. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, See, Paul's not by himself in his suffering and his chains. He's rejoicing because the Lord Jesus Christ is in him and he's with him. Folks, we can have that same kind of joy. We can rejoice in the same way when we find ourselves in our own chains in our lives. Knowing that the Spirit of Jesus Christ is with us and he's in us. In Galatians 4, 6, he says it this way, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. You know, and so for a long time I was like, is it okay to ask Jesus into your heart? Doesn't the Holy Spirit live in our heart? Which one is it? Is it Jesus? Is it the Holy Spirit? Yes, it is. Jesus and the Holy Spirit, same God, one God. There's something beautiful that's happening in this text. Paul's connecting the Holy Spirit and God. We sing about our, our, our God three in one. And so Paul's encouraged. He's rejoicing because Jesus is there with him. Jesus is helping him pen these words. And this is why he's rejoicing. Because it doesn't matter. Either way, he says, he goes on here and he says, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. This concept of deliverance is interesting. It's the idea of salvation. Okay? So what has happened to me is actually going to turn out for my salvation. What Paul's saying is that what's happened to me is leading to the day when my salvation will be made complete as I stand before God and he says to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Receive the reward of your inheritance. Paul can rejoice because he's looking forward. He's in chains for Christ. This idea of deliverance, this idea of salvation in Scripture. We, we see it and we think about salvation. We might think of it as a past salvation, right? This is a past event that took place in our lives. When we, as maybe young children, asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into our hearts, and at that point we received Him and we were saved. 
And yes, that is true. When we believe Jesus Christ and died for our sins and trusted his death as payment for our punishment, we were delivered from hell and we were given eternal life. And there is a sense where salvation happened at that moment when we cried out. But there's also a present salvation. There's a present salvation in our lives as believers. How we're being saved from the power of sin. How we're being shielded by God's power from Satan. How we're being delivered from a life of emptiness and futility and receiving this life that's filled with joy and confidence and expectancy. Those things come from the Lord Jesus Christ. They come from the Holy Spirit. There's a sense where there is a present deliverance that's taking place in our lives, a present salvation. But I think Paul's talking here, and he's looking forward, this deliverance, this salvation in this text, he's talking about this future salvation, this future reward that he's going to receive when he's with the Lord. As we sang about this morning, great choice. No pain, no sorrow, no chains in Paul's case. In the presence of Jesus, filled with joy, filled with awe, and filled with the peace that comes from God. Those things give Paul reason to rejoice while he's in his, in his chains. They give him confidence. And so in his situation, Paul looks forward. He says, this is going to turn out for my deliverance. And, he's, and he goes on then, and he says in verse 20, he says, because I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's looking forward. He's looking at this trial where he's going to stand before the most powerful man in the world at the time, Caesar. And he looks at it and he goes, you know what? <laughs> it's a win-win situation for me, right? I get to continue to serve Christ here, or I get to go on to, to paradise and enjoy God. And so Paul looks and he goes, you know what, I eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed. He has an opportunity to testify before Caesar and it brings him great joy. He rejoices in it. You know what, and I, and I imagine it's, it's kind of like that movie Gladiator with, with Caesar. I don't, maybe I'm off, but kind of remember in the Gladiator what's like, you know, here he is, it's like thumbs up or thumbs down. You know, Paul pleads his case before before Caesar, and it's like, well, all right, thumbs up. He gets to live, or, eh, he's dying. Let's throw him to the lions, or let's do whatever. He says, Christ is enough. Christ brings me joy. He brings me strength. Do we have that kind of confidence? Do we have that kind of courage and joy? Do you live with that kind of joy in your life? Is, is, Christ, is Christ everything to you? Is he your life? Or is, or is Christ more like, he's more like a snapshot in your wallet, like, hey, do you know about Christ? You know, you want to know about Christ? You know what, I think, I think I might have a picture of him in here somewhere. It might be a bit old and it might be a bit tattered, but I'm pretty sure it's in here somewhere. Is that how we live for Christ? 
Or like Paul. Paul's got enlarged, full-length poster, carries it with him all the time, carries it out like this all the time. You can hardly even see Paul. Right? Read his writings. Holy cow. This guy is Christ in me. Christ here, Christ there, Jesus Christ, this and that. And he's saying it in a positive way. He's not swearing like some people do. Some people, well, never mind, we'll stop. That's Paul. Christ is in him, and it brings him, it brings him joy, and it brings him hope, and he rejoices in it. His whole life is Christ. Christ died for him. Christ chose him. Christ freed him from his past. Christ is his passion. Christ is his Lord. And so he says, you know what? I'm eager. I can't wait because I am confident that I will in no way be ashamed when I stand before Caesar. I'm not going to be intimidated. Maybe if you think about ashamed, I'm not going to be embarrassed by him. Actually, even this ashamed word, you might write this down. It's this idea that I'm not going to be disappointed. How could Paul say that? That I'm not going to be disappointed when I stand before him. Because Boyce writes us in his commentary about this idea of disappointment. He says, because he, the person whose trust is not misplaced will not be disappointed. Paul knows that he has put his trust in the right place. He's invested his life in the right person. And that's the confidence that we have as believers in Jesus Christ as well. We invest ourselves in the person of Jesus Christ. And, I, and I, I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. You will not be ashamed. He writes it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He says, And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, herald and an apostle and a teacher, and that's why I'm suffering as I am. He says this, yet, yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. I think that really spells into what we're talking about here. This is going to turn out for my deliverance. I have invested in eternity. I know on that day Jesus is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't matter. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, he says in Romans 1.16. It's the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. I'm not going to be ashamed here on earth, and I'm certainly not going to be ashamed when I stand before Jesus Christ in heaven, because Christ is going to be exalted in my body. Notice he says that I'm going to exalt myself. He says Christ will be exalted. We live for the Lord Jesus Christ. He exalts himself in us and so Paul looks ahead here and this is probably the key to this the key to this text and maybe a, a very familiar verse to you is verse 21 he says for me to live is Christ for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain you know what I'm not ashamed because I'm gonna live for Christ and if I die it's Christ Paul has a win-win outlook on life. This is, Paul looks at his options and he says, man, I can continue serving Christ or I can be with Christ. 
You ever think like that? <laughs> Do you have that same perspective, that eternal perspective and that, that perspective here? Is Jesus just everything? Is he life-size poster in your life? Oh, I see it in many of you. I see Christ life-size large in you. And it brings me great courage and great joy. And so Paul looks at it and he says, he makes a statement to me, to live is Christ. If I live, it's Christ. And if I die, it's Christ. And then he starts to flesh it out in verse 22. He starts to flesh this out. He's like, well, you know, if I go on living in the body, this will remain fruitful labor for me. I get to continue to serve the church. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so that's the greatest dilemma for Paul. He's in chains, Roman soldier, four feet away from him. He's like, man, I'm torn here. I'm hard-pressed from both directions. I want to continue to serve the church. I love the people that I'm serving. I love serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I really want to be with Christ. This is a hard choice. The message says it that way. It's a hard choice. If Paul has his way, his desire is to leave. And we probably, many of us have that mindset, don't we? You ever get there? Man, I just want to leave. I'm done. Paul does not say it that way. And we're going to get to that at the end of the message. Paul does not have that perspective. Oh, I just want to be done here. I'm done. Oftentimes, though, I think we do in our own lives when we face circumstances. Like, ugh, I'm so done. No, Paul rejoices. He's like, woo, I win. Either way, I, I love serving Jesus. I love being in these chains. I get to be chained to this guard all day long, and I get to talk to him about Jesus Christ. It's great. I'm not sure who's in chains here. Is he in chains or am I in chains? What's going on? That's Paul. But he says here, and this is an important statement for us, and we want to just get off track a little bit. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ. That word depart is, is beautiful. It's a beautiful word. It's a military term. Depart is to break up camp and head home. Let that sink into you for a second. I desire to depart and be with Christ. Man, I've been out in the boonies here long enough. Right? I want my own bed. I want my own comfort food. There's a feast there, by the way, you know. It's a table spread out for us. A desire to depart. Um, some of you travel for business. Um, and then when you travel, you live out of hotels, right? You live out of hotels, you eat a lot of fast food, you're not in your bed. And uh, after a week of being on the road, when you get to the airport, you want the, you want the sign to say, departure, flight on time, right? 
How many times are they not on time? It's like flights delayed, departure time delayed. Ugh, you know, you just mumble under your breath. I think this is that desire that, that Paul has here, but he's not mumbling. He said, man, I desire to depart and be with Christ. Mission trip to Kentucky. You know, what could be better, man? You're serving Jesus in Kentucky. I can tell you what could be better, the beds. <laughs> Anybody, any of you that have gone on the mission trip to Kentucky, we're leaving in a couple of weeks. Do you just love those beds? The food's okay. The beds stink. They're awful. And, and at the end of the week, you just can't wait to depart and go home and sleep in your bed, right? Magnify that a billion times. Man, I just want to depart and I want to be with Christ. I want to enjoy this, the home. I want to enjoy my real home. Notice he says there, to depart and to be with Christ. When you die... You will be in the presence of Christ. And for Paul and his writings, it happens immediately. There's no purgatory. No purgatory in, in, in Paul's writings. Soul sleep, eh, arguable. Probably not. When you die, you're with the Lord Jesus Christ. He says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we're confident, I say, and would, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He'd much rather be absent from the body and be home with the Lord. That brings us great comfort, doesn't it? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That is something that, that the believer in Jesus Christ gets to enjoy, and it's something that brings us hope. It allows us to face whatever we have in our lives with courage. I get to be with Christ and I get to enjoy him. But Paul says, you know what? <laughs> it's probably not how it's going to turn out for me. Um, he goes on here. He says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So Paul looks, to the, looks forward, he goes, you know what, I'm probably going to be here a while. And he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Paul looks forward and he rejoices because he rejoices in his purpose for continuing on in this body. He weighs his option. He says, to die is gain, yes. But if I continue to live on this body, I can rejoice in that as well. Because I have an opportunity to see you again. I have an opportunity to serve with you again. And this is what gives me great respect for Paul. This is what makes Paul just such a cut above, man. Is this desire to continue for someone else. Paul's not thinking about himself when he makes this statement. Paul's not ever thinking about himself when he's, when he's weighing out his options. He's thinking about others. 
He says that he wants to continue on for the progress of the Philippian church. He doesn't say this, you know, if I, if I make it out of these chains, you know what? I'm going on a long vacation, right? I'm going to Rome. Oh, good point. That failed. Good call, guys. That did not work out. I'm going somewhere tropical. Is Rome tropical? It's not tropical, is it? Okay, good. I'm not very good at geography, so. You know what? If Caesar gives me the thumbs up, I'm going to retire. I'm not making this mistake again. I'm going to stop preaching Christ because I don't want to get beaten again and thrown in here. No, he's like, you know what? I'm going to get right back up, and I'm going to continue in the progress and joy of the faith for this Philippian church. This is Paul's heart. This is this idea to live as Christ. To live is to serve others. There's no boasting in Paul. It's not about him. It's about Christ. His desire for the church in Philippi is that it would grow in the knowledge of the truth. We saw already that he prays for them about this. He hopes to come alongside them again and help them. And you know what? It's quite possible that what Paul's writing here actually took place. It's quite possible Paul was released from prison. And it's quite possible between his release from being in prison the first time and the second time that he actually did get to go see his friends in Philippi again. How do we know that? 1 Timothy 1.3 says this. He's writing to Timothy. He says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia. Where's Philippi? It's in Macedonia. It's quite possible that Paul got to go back and see this church again and encourage them. Can you imagine what kind of reunion that would have been? What kind of joy there would have been? Wow. Founding pastor comes, to, comes back home to church. There's a joyous celebration that's taking place. Christ is being exalted. Man, Christ delivered you from your chains. What do we learn from Paul? What can we learn from him? What do we take away from this? We can certainly be encouraged and be encouraged that what happens to us when we die, Paul writes it here present with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's certainly encouragement from that. It's a believer's hope. We sing about it. We just sang about it a lot this morning. What else? We can face life and death and look at either one as a win-win situation, as a win-win opportunity. This is going to, I'm going to have to explain this, but let me just make this statement. Step out of this world, don't just want out. Step out of this world, don't just want out. You know, I don't know about you, but there are days when I just want out. I watch the news, well, I just don't watch the news, because it's just frustrating, but there are days where I just want out. I'm not rejoicing in my circumstances here. I just want my own bed. I want my home-cooked meal in glory. That's what I want. And that kind of mindset, that kind of mindset says that I just want out. 
that is focused on the circumstances rather than on Christ. No. See your life here on earth as an opportunity to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one sense, I'm not going to say your best life now, but certainly get something out of your life now. Serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Take the example of Paul. Rejoice in serving and living to serve others rather than yourself so that Christ can be seen. That's how you will find lasting joy in your life, I promise you. A life well spent is a life spent serving others and rejoicing with others. And in so serving others, we serve Christ. That's the thing that makes Paul amazing, is that he is willing to sacrifice and let go of everything else to serve others and to serve Christ. He saw the fruit of this Philippian church as they sent him money, the only ones to send him money to pay his rent while he's in, while he's in house arrest, and it brings him great joy. It's like, man, you guys are getting it. Woo! I have a friend, and I may have shared this story before, but I think it's worth sharing again because I think it gives us this perspective. I have a friend who was older than me in high school. In his senior year of high school, state playoffs, we're playing Hastings, St. Cecilia, darn that team, they're always the big rivals. Ah, it's always the Catholics. Isn't it? Sorry. That wasn't very nice. Yeah. Look at the soccer. No, sorry. We're done. Opening kickoff of the game. Jerry's on the field. He's, he's running down to make a tackle. And he hits the man head on, paralyzed. Like immediate paralysis. Spends months in rehab and finds out that, you know what, there's just not a lot. He's just going to be in a wheelchair. I tell you what, that guy, that hit changed his life, changed his mindset, changed everything about Jerry. I think he loved the Lord before that. Man, he made the most of that opportunity. He has spent his life serving others. You will not find a more rejoicing, <laughs> if that's the way to say it, with a person with more joy than Jerry Ettinger. Jerry preaches Christ. Everywhere he goes, he's a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's in a wheelchair. And when you see him on the road, stay away. You know, he doesn't drive very well. But dude, that guy loves Jesus really well. In his circumstances, you'd think maybe Jerry, man, Jerry would be asking, hey God, why'd you do this to me? Jerry asked the question, hey God, what do you want me to do with this? And he is making a difference for Christ. So much so that he's had this impact on my life. When I, when I, when I sign off often the times and I say think eternally, you know where I got that from? I got that from Jerry Ettinger. An amazing guy who loves Jesus, spends his life serving Jesus. 
and his circumstances aren't that great. Folks, to live as Christ for Jerry, to die, man, I'm sure he can't wait to get new legs, can't wait to get new arms. Man, he is making the most of it now and here. My challenge to you this morning is that let's make the most of here. Maybe you're in a hard situation. You can serve Christ in the midst of it, and it can bring you great joy. And you know what? I'm encouraged because I see that in so many of you. I see you living for Christ day in, day out, even when things aren't great in life. There are a lot of great testimonies sitting here in this church. So I want to encourage you, make that your statement. Memorize it. For Philippians 1.21, hey, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is Christ. To die is gain, but it's to die is Christ, right? So whether I go on living, whether I die, Christ in me, that's my hope. That's what brings me joy. That's what I rejoice. That's what I wake up every day thinking about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God. Um, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you, Father, that it brings us encouragement. Paul's courage, God, Paul's writings here to this church, God. Um, he could write them to us. He is writing to us, God, because your word is timeless. It's valuable in every generation, God. It doesn't change. Your truth is constant, God. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us, you would challenge us, God. Give us this win-win mindset, God, that we could see our circumstances and live through them and rejoice, God. Father, we love you. And uh, we want to worship you now, God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.